Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. We're going to be talking today about instructional habits that we might want to revisit. I have created my top five list of instructional habits that I'd like to drop. And I want you to think about in your buildings, what are you seeing? You know, habits are are good. The brain needs habits. Uh, think about what life would be like if we woke up every day and had to research, hmm, do I need to brush my teeth? Hmm, what route should I take to work? The brain needs habits to follow those familiar paths because it would be exhausting. And having habits to follow allows the brain to free up some space to really do some important work. But sometimes we need to maybe take a look and say, hey, are all of these still working for our kids? I'm convinced that some of these habits, we just don't know where they started. I think it's easier to track down Bigfoot than track down the source of some of these. This is a good-natured look, a little bit irreverent, I will warn you, uh, at some of our instructional habits that we might want to rethink. And I'm also going to talk about some some more effective replacements that we might want to put in. Now, I've created a little PowerPoint, put it on my ed expert with pictures. Uh, some of the habits are on there, but also, more importantly, I have things that you're going to like a whole lot better than, the, than these habits. Uh, because I'm a big believer, if I'm in a building and I'm seeing something that maybe doesn't work, that well, I need to be able to offer three or four suggestions that you're going to like a whole lot more than that one that we're doing. So you ready? I'm going to do my top five and you think about your top five. Here we go. Here's my number five. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go from five to one. Number five is round robin reading. Round robin reading is where one student reads a paragraph. Typically is what research shows. They only read a paragraph. And then it goes to the next student, and that person reads a paragraph, and then it goes to desk number four. Students realize that pattern pretty quickly, right? They realize, hey, I'm in desk number seven, so I'll just sit here and sort of snooze until it's my turn. I'll wake up and come alive for my one paragraph, and then I'll go back into my deep slumber. Well, what research shows on round-robin reading is we're not really comprehending much while someone else is reading their paragraph. And so it's really not a very effective way to go. Now, I'm going to readily admit that I have done it. I'll bet all of us have done it at some point. I'll tell you why I did it. I really didn't know of a lot of better alternatives. And my thinking at the time was the door's locked. I've held, I'm holding these guys hostage. We're going to read this passage. And, and we just went through it one at a time, one paragraph after another. So there are lots of more effective things we can do. And on the PowerPoint, I've just put a few, but there are some great strategies we can use for paired readings. One can be the reader. One can be the scribe. One can be number one, number two, and they do different things. We could also do station readings where we have smaller pieces around the room and they do different things. We could do jigsaws, literature circles, all kinds of great things that are so much more effective than round robin reading. So that's number five, but now I have five B. These go together because they're, they're pretty similar. The second component to this is something called popcorn reading. When I do trainings, this is the one thing I say we never do is popcorn reading. I really don't know who invented popcorn reading, but I can tell you that everybody's heard of it. Every student, every teacher knows about popcorn reading. 
popcorn, as an aside, you might find this interesting. Popcorn was discovered in an old bat cave in New Mexico. The popcorn was being used as ornaments and necklaces. Uh, and someone finally figured out that, hey, we can eat that. Uh, and I'm starting to wonder if popcorn reading wasn't, um, didn't originate out of an old bat cave as well. But basically, I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to get super sneaky and stop midway through this passage. And I'm going to call on poor Linda, who just got back from the nurse's office, who's running a fever, because she's never going to know where we are right now. And then Linda's going to say, I'm sorry, I don't know. And then it's going to come back to me. And then I'm going to read a little bit more, and I'm going to stop at a really tricky part, and I'm going to call on someone else, because I can kind of think that that guy's not paying attention right now. And then he He's going to get all flushed and he's going to come back to me. So reading becomes what? Sort of a game of vengeance for whoever was kind of mean to me in the hall. And, and it's just not really a love of reading on popcorn reading. Plus, who's comprehending anything? It's just popping all over the room. They're, they're, it's just craziness. That's one that we really need to let go of. So number five, popcorn reading, round robin reading. Okay, number four, you ready? One student on the board, and it's usually in math, all right? So this one student on the board, we're going to watch her squirm and see if she can figure out that word problem, or maybe she flies through the word problem. The point being, what are all the other students doing? So if a student is on the board, and I'm okay with that, if everybody else has a whiteboard, if everybody else is doing the solving the problem on their desk, if everybody else is doing a problem on a sticky note. So if we have a couple kids on the board, and because kids like that, they can get up, everybody needs to be working. Because we're fooling ourselves if we think that those students are really studying this child's math processes while they're on the board. So number four is one student on the board. Ready for number three? This one's going to be a surprise, I think, to a lot of people. Word walls. Words on a wall. I have some of the best pictures of this in action, and I have them on the PowerPoint. My favorite is social studies, and I'm not going to pick on social studies teachers because I have taught social studies. But let's be honest, if it's in bold, if it's in bold print, you know, we're, that, that word's golden, right? We're going to have a bunch of words in social studies. So the picture I put on the PowerPoint is a hundred words on a word wall, on a list in about a four font. I got my phone so close with this picture and I still can't read them. Now, the, on the plus side, there's a flag border going around it. Um, so how do we learn vocabulary, right? We need one word at a time. Let's celebrate that word. Let's draw a picture. Let's talk about that word. Let's play a game with that word. It takes the average student six exposures of one word over time to learn a word. Now, we did word walls in one of my schools, and I'll tell you how that developed. Our principal went to a workshop. We had a faculty meeting when he came back gathered us together. And he said, we need to do word walls. I said, okay. I raised my hand. I said, I'm going to be honest here and tell you, I don't know what a word wall is. He said, well, Susie, just put your words on a wall. I said, okay. And he told everybody, it's going to be on your evaluation. I heard that. So by the time the sun was up the next day, I bet I had 200 words on my wall and I had very few fingerprints left from the glue gun. 
but we had words. You could walk down the halls of our building and words were glued everywhere. Now, my students didn't do this. Not only that, I didn't want them touching my words because that's part of Miss Pepper's evaluation. So the vocabulary really became about what? Me putting words on my wall for a checklist, right? So on the PowerPoint, I'm going to give you a different strategy that I've done for years. It works so much better. And that's a tip chart. A tip chart is term info picture. So when we get to a new word, we celebrate. We say, hey, guys, adjacent. That's a brand new word. Let's put it on our tip. Let's talk about what that word means. Come up with the class definition. Let's draw a picture of adjacent rather than just words on a wall. So check that out on the PowerPoint. All right, so five, we had popcorn reading and round robin reading. Four, one student on the board. Three, words on a wall. Are you ready for number two? This one uh, maybe may surprise you a little bit as well. Um, we tell students, hey, don't write in your books. Those textbooks are expensive. Don't write in those books. Don't put any stray marks in your books. Guess what good readers do? Write in their books. If I gave you a piece of text right now, the first thing you're going to ask me is, can we write on this? Sure. Good readers, we want them to write on their text. Now, of course, the challenge is those textbooks are super expensive and we have to be cognizant of that and respectful of that. But there are strategies we use. Sticky notes, for example. Their books need to be covered in sticky notes and I have pictures on the PowerPoint of that. We could put plastic sheets on top to make notes. We can use sticky note flags. If there is some uh, text that they can actually write on, like we're working in the media center, we're doing some research. One of my favorite strategies is high writing, where we have students highlight critical passage, a critical piece of text, and then they make a note in the margin. So we are combining highlighting with annotating. And the thought behind that is, if it's important enough to highlight, it's important enough to make a note and it teaches our students the judicious use of highlighting because let's face it. If we just give students highlighters without any sort of guidance, they end up what just painting the house yellow, right? So instead of telling students don't write on those books, let's say, guys, you know what? I want you to mark your text. I want to see your thoughts. I want, there's one author calls it tracking your thinking. So I want to see what you're thinking when you're reading so that I can give you some feedback. So we're going to use sticky notes, all kinds of strategies we can use. All right. So number five, and again, I got some pictures of that on the, on the PowerPoint for you. So number five, round robin reading, popcorn reading. We talked about one student on the, on the board, right? We talked about words on a wall. And number two was don't write in your books. Okay. Number one. It's a big one. It's the warm-up. It's the do now. It's the bell ringer. I am convinced. I don't know. I do know where these came from, but they're getting longer and longer and longer. Warm-ups and bell ringers are actually classroom management. It's a classroom management technique. It's not an instructional technique. And how these sort of came into being was to manage our students get them in out of the halls, get class started. We're going to have something for them to do right away. And that will provide us an opportunity to handle some administrative tasks like checking roll and those kinds of things. So originally it was probably intended to be something very quick, but then it got to be longer and longer. There are classrooms I'm in where they're 15, 20, 25 minutes. Now let's step back and think, even if it's 15 minutes a day, 
multiply that times 180 days and just get a calculator out and figure out how much instructional time we're spending. So part of it is the time. The bigger issue is the level of thinking and the purpose in those wonderful minutes. I call those opening minutes the golden time. It's the best part of class. Students are going to remember the most in the opening 10 minutes. They're going to go home and tell their parents what they did in class from the opening minutes. The opening minutes tap into prior knowledge. That that boosts their reading comprehension. And also, and this is hugely important, a student in the opening minutes, their brain's trying to decide, am I going to be okay at this? Can I be successful at this? And does this task have value? The combination of those two things, a task having value and, oh, I think I'm going to be okay at this. I think I can do this. This is pretty cool. That motivates a student to work. So we want to establish right out of the gate, wow, this learning today is going to be just fantastic. I can't wait to get going. So the opening minutes need to be stupendous, not something to just get kids going. I'll put a couple of strategies on the PowerPoint. I have tons of those. But what we want to do is in the opening minutes, really, it's why we used to call it a hook, right? I call them success starters in my books because I want every kid to get those endorphins going like, man, this is going to be great today. So we can do so much better than a do now. You know, we can we can really ramp this up and get them really doing some thoughtful work in those opening minutes. All right, so let me go through my top five, and I'm hoping that you're thinking about yours. These are the ones that if I had all the power in the universe, we would be thinking about. Round robin reading, popcorn reading. I'd sure rather do some stations or some placemats or something different in those. Number four, one student on the board. If we're going to have kids on the board, everybody else needs a whiteboard or, or writing on their desk. Number three, just words on a wall. That's not, even if we put them at some clever angles in some pretty color, it's not going to help them that much. Number two is letting them write in their books. Uh, we have to find ways to mark their text. Number one is let's rethink those do now bell ringer warm-ups, how much time we're spending on those. We can make that so valuable and really welcome our kids into our classroom with something fantastic to do in those opening minutes. So those are my five. I'm curious about yours. Uh, you can always reach me at Twitter at MyEdExpert um, and think about that and then grab that PowerPoint. You're welcome to use it um, on that. So before I close, you know, I always like to do this on the podcast. And boy, is it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for everything that you do in your buildings, your classrooms, every single day to help kids, to provide possibilities for your students, opening doors for our children every single day. You're the most important thing in the world. Join us next week uh, when we talk to an educational thought leader about some current topics in education. So glad you joined us. Thanks so much. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.